also recording and also knocking over a bunch of instruments. Yes, you my... are. Are you in your closet? I am now. I've got my bass here. Should I do a bass okay. intro to... <laughs> what would that sound like? Bad. <laughs> Especially since the bass is not plugged into anything. Oh, if it was plugged in, you could do like a new metal like bass opening. Welcome back, everyone. We're live from Trump's America. It's you scared of this. Womp womp. Yeah. Ugh. Rough week, guys. Uh, we're back on our regular schedule again. This is You Scared of This, a podcast where two grown men watch every episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark and try to figure out if it's still scary. I'm David Dykus, period. And I'm Eli Phillips. Hello, everyone. We, uh, we thank you all for being patient during our brief hiatus last week. I was having a nervous breakdown, and Eli was sipping mojitos in Orlando? Tell the nice people at home what you were doing last week, Eli. <laughs> I was actually sipping butterbeer in Orlando. Yeah, um, I was live on location at Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida. <laughs> well, did you make good on any of the promises from the last episode? Did you see an episode of What I Would You not, Do? I did not break into the, the Nickelodeon studios, unfortunately. How was Universal? Universal was great. Um, as you know, I'm a my family are almost, I would say, religiously a Disney family. I would say so. We've gone at least like five times every decade uh, of my 30 years on the planet. And last week, my wife and I, Cheyenne and I, went to uh, Walt Disney World and Universal Studios to celebrate our one-year anniversary, and to take our belated honeymoon, and to celebrate my birthday. So it was a really big celebration for us, and I, I was looking forward to Disney, she was looking forward to Universal because she loves Harry Potter, um, but I ended up having a fantastic time at Universal. I was disappointed by the lack of Nickelodeon there, but otherwise it was it was really great. Really? Did they have any sort of presence there at all? I looked on the I looked at the map, which also has like the schedule of events, and there is a certain period of the day at Universal Studios, but not at the Islands of Adventure. So at the Universal Studios, there's a certain period of the day where Nickelodeon characters come out and take pictures, and I think they probably do a little song and dance. Um, but I never saw any of them. I never actually. That's not true. That's not true. I saw there is a bikini bottom themed shop, a gift shop. And as we were walking past that, as Universal Studios was closing, I saw people taking pictures with Squidward. And we talked about taking pictures with Squidward, but we did not. How far are they fallen? Yeah, it was it was a little sad for me that there wasn't just this like huge Nickelodeon presence there. But it's just I guess it's just not relevant enough, which is weird, because as I sent you, <laughs> they have a they have an entire section that's themed after like sunday funny pages comic strip characters like dagwood and there was a shop with little nemo from slumberland uh like on the marquee <laughs> little nemo getting more Phantom. getting more representation in this park than say any nicktoon from the 90s yeah yeah like little nemo got almost as much recognition as spongebob so that's kind of sad how bizarre well i'm glad you enjoyed your trip how does it feel to be 30 the scariest age it's very scary. Yeah, I feel super old. 
people are making references I don't get. My technology's not working. I'm just going to drop in the entire audio clip of Abe Simpson saying, I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was. I used to be with it, but then they changed what it was. Now what I'm with isn't it, and what's it seems weird and scary to me. It'll happen to you. Or like, if we can find a clip of uh, of Grandpa Wolf from Rocco. Oh, yeah. Beaver got the babes! Oh, youth is wasted on the young! Alright, but now, I'm back, I'm older, I'm wiser, and I'm ready to review the tale of the Guardian's Curse. That's right, the tale of the Guardian's Curse. Whoosh! Originally aired February 26th, 1994. Was written by our favorite writer, Miss Chloe Brown. The realest writer on the staff. And directed, of course, by series creator of the show, DJ McHale. Yeah, and before we get into this episode, there's some very, very, very related nude business that I want to point out. All right, please do. It's not particularly new nude business, but it's very, very relevant. Uh, this episode is guest starring Danny Cooksey as Josh Dugan. Uh, you might recognize the name Danny Cooksey, you might not, but you definitely remember him as Butnik from Salute Your Shorts and Montana Max from Tiny Toons. Oh yeah, he was Butnik. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, Butnik and Montana Max is the star of this, one of the two young protagonists in this episode. Now, that on its own would not be nude business, but I decided to click on his, uh, his old IMDB page here and see what he's been up to. And in 2017, he's going to have a new filming credit, Dykus, and do you know what it is? No, what is it? He will be reprising his role as Stoop Kid in the Hey Arnold Jungle movie. Oh my god, this guy really was a pillar of, like... 90s kids tv yeah yeah so uh danny cooksey is going to be back in our lives as stoop kid next year get hype wow i'm shocked that they brought they got him back in the role 20 years later but good for them yeah yeah i thought that was pretty rad it's so funny that there have been like five arnold's but danny cooksey is is gonna voice stoop kid again how old is he now he's about 10 years older than me so he's about 41 oh my god (laughs) stoop man (laughs) <laughs> what do you think stoop stoop man would be doing if 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 the character is aged naturally what do you think stoop man would be up to these days sitting on his stoop and Just occasionally leaving stoop. would he be like playing three card money would that be how he makes his living i mean i can i see him as more of a solitary guy i don't see him making a living necessarily he just has a hat out in front of his stoop. <laughs> Maybe he's just like a tourist attraction in and of himself like the like the leather man in uh Pennsylvania. I mean, I know that uh, at the end of the Stoop Kid episode, he said that there were all sorts of stoops he wanted to see around the world. Or maybe Arnold mentioned that. And uh, no, yeah, Arnold mentioned going and seeing like Machu Picchu. And Stoop Kid was like, now I can terrorize kids on and off my stoop. You've given me a great thing, Arnold. So I guess, yeah, he probably still just is on his stoop. I don't know. Maybe maybe in his 20s, he he toured the world and sat on all the historically important stoops. We can We can only hope. Everyone... Go see the Jungle movie when it comes out so we can all know. And all of this will be revealed. (laughs) Yeah, so we can know the fate of Stoop Kid. Uh, Hey, everyone. Future David here. Uh, Just jumping in. I have to make an amendment to our Stoop Kid rant. For anyone wanting to know more about the fate of Stoop Kid and where exactly he went, I have found the answer. I went on YouTube while I was editing uh, to try to find some Stoop Kid audio, and I found something I never expected to see. Which was the music video for I Will Never Leave My Stoop. The number 
one question is where do I poop? This is a music video produced by Nickelodeon uh, in the last couple of years for their The Splat programming block, and it is a an electronic song performed by Stoop Kid, recapping the events of his episode. And I don't want to spoil too much, but let's just say, if you want to learn more about where Stoop Kid went and what became of the character, you must check out this video because it is incredible. Uh, now back to the episode. Take it away, past Eli. So, uh, now that we've got all of our Stoop Kid business out of the way, do you want to dive right in? You bet. Here we go. We're doing it. The tale of the Guardian's curse. And this episode starts with Tucker squealing like an imp and running through the forest. This is one of those opening shots that I really like in this new season. Um, I pointed out early on that they had sort of made some changes to the set, and I feel like we get to see a lot, uh, sort of a wider area of the, uh, the the woods around the fire. And so we see Tucker running in towards the fire, and he's being chased by Gary. This, I'm almost getting a little bit weary of the whole Tucker causing mischief in the Midnight Society thing. I feel like this is the fourth or fifth episode this season where we've had this. I agree. We are getting a lot of that. But the counterpoint to it is I think that this gives us an interesting portrait of Gary because of what happens next. Yeah, this is one of the few times we see Gary flustered. He storms out of the forest chasing after Tucker. Come back here, little toad. Ooh. Hey! Grab him! Frank catches Tucker. By the collar. He, like, grabs him by the collar and lifts him off the ground. Tucker says, Back off, Godzilla! Which I appreciated. I wondered how you would react to that line. Uh, Sam is the cooler head here. She manages to stop Gary from having Frank kill Tucker. She makes him put Tucker down. She asks what's going on. And Gary explains that, that Tucker stole his onk. Which is the least cool thing you could accuse someone of doing. <laughs> it gets better and better. Because, uh... <laughs> everyone's like what's an onk and T tucker's like i'll i'll explain it to you if you let me go and he pulls out the onk from around his neck he's got it tucked into his shirt and he's wearing a gold onk around a pretty heavy rope and when tucker sees it or when gary sees it he freaks out again and he says that's mine you stole it from my private drawer <laughs> <laughs> gary <laughs> Which i'm was learning more about you part. than i wanted to know <laughs> like gary has a personal private drawer that no one is supposed to go into. Okay, fine. He's a teenager. Whatever. Is it where he keeps his weed? Nope. Is it where he keeps his porn? Nope. Is it where he keeps his onk? Yes, definitely. I think we know the implication here. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't want to be putting my finger through the hole in that onk. Oh, God. Cut that, please. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> So Gary has a weird private relationship with his onk. Tucker says that the onk has given him an idea for a story, and that if Gary just gives him a chance to hang on to the onk for 22 more minutes, uh, they'll get to hear it. So Gary reluctantly concedes, sits down, Tucker starts the story, Tale of the Guardian's Curse, whoosh, throws in the coffee creamer, and we get an interesting introduction to this story. Uh, an almost Steven Spielberg-esque scene separate from the main characters. Yeah, which I enjoyed. Uh I'm going to make a quick observation of random crap in the foreground. All right. We open in a history museum, and as the camera is swooping over to where the action's taking place, we see a truly hideous mask that doesn't come into play at any point in the episode. It looks like something from, like, a Primus album cover. It's so fucking ugly. I'm going to have to share a picture of it online. But the main point of all this is we see a construction crew renovating the museum. They're being led by this big Orson Welles-type guy with a beard. Yeah, and I love the way that everyone talks in this scene. What is that thing? 
Yeah, everyone's talking like a real wise guy construction worker. They come to a point where there's a wall there that shouldn't be there, according to the blueprints. So they knock out the wall and they make an amazing discovery. There's a big sarcophagus hidden behind a false wall. Yeah. And one of the construction guys goes, Mother of Pearl. <laughs> and so they need to call in a specialist to uh, figure out all of the details surrounding this sarcophagus. And this is where we meet our two young protagonists. Yep. We meet Josh and Cleo, who are two uh, 15, 16-year-old teenagers, older teenagers. Yeah, yeah, some of the older protagonists that we've had on the show. And their dad is the head archaeologist, I guess, or the head of the museum. And they're getting really excited because they're about to go on their big ski trip. But, uh-oh, their dad gets called in to look at this mummy, and they're like, oh, man, our ski trip's gonna get canceled again. It got canceled last year and the year before. We're told that their dad means well, but he's just too dedicated to his work. And once again... Some stupid archaeological discovery has shot their plans to shit. And now they're not going to get to go skiing. And we hear about that a lot. Like, every time uh, we get a deeper bit of exposition about this sarcophagus, the kids look at each other and roll their eyes, or they say, yep, we're definitely not going skiing now. The skiing thing permeates throughout the entire episode, all the way up to the bitter end. <laughs> yeah. But we'll, we'll get there eventually. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to come back to that. They rush to the museum, and Big Fat Orson Welles tells the kid's dad, like, oh, you simply must see this. This is such an important discovery. Ooh. And they go back. I'm skipping over some stuff here, but they go back and look at sarcophagus, and they crack the thing open. There's a mummy inside, and it is gross as fuck. Josh even, like, continually acts disgusted by it. Yuck. Cool. Were you surprised when they reveal this mummy? I mean, it looks like a real mummy. It is decrepit and old and decaying and very dead. Were you surprised at how realistic they made it? Uh, no, I was. I, I mean, I was happy with it. Like, you don't see it when they all react to it. They're like, "Ugh, gross!" And uh, so I was kind of yeah. We get a like, point of view shot from the mummy where they say all of that. <laughs> She's crying. Um, but when they showed it, yeah, it looks it looks like a real old gross mummy. It's not like exaggerated in any way or cartoonish it just is what it is which i appreciate a lot oh my god i would have been terrified if this is a kid seeing a very frank depiction of a mummy would have scared me shitless yeah it's not a person in a costume it's just like a a freaking prop it's just like a, a slab Corpse. of human jerky well said <laughs> while they're it's examining gross. the mummy we get a big exposition dump from the kid's dad and from Dr. Orson Welles, we're told that this mummy, this is the mummy of an Egyptian queen goddess? Yep, Mena. Who? Mena. Mena was a goddess. The ancient Egyptians believed that she used her ring of eternity to bring forth life from the earth every spring. She should have used the ring on herself. Maybe she wouldn't be stuck in this old box. But there was two sides to the legend. Mena was beneficent, but vindictive she supposedly had the power to turn her enemies into stone there's also some business about two magical artifacts that are related to nina somehow the elixir and the ring the ring of eternity and the elixir of life which were apparently under her control and if you had both of them you could live forever it's a real deathly hallow situation where you've cut a bunch of magical artifacts that you have to keep track of throughout the story the early middle part of this is their dad researching and giving more and more and more exposition we cut from him uh, doing research at the museum to him doing research at their home. And while he's at their home doing research, uh, he Josh plays the, the worst guitar riff ever on his guitar. He does. 
I wished he would have been playing the theme song. Like, I actually made a note of that. Like, how in uh, The Tale of the Full Moon, they play, yeah, they play, like, the, the swinging 60s version of the theme song. I really wanted him to play the rockin' awesome theme song on his guitar, but he does not. He's playing guitar, and he's complaining about how their dad, not only is he not taking them skiing, but he's not spending time with them, he's spending all his time on this mummy. He apologizes to them very sincerely for that, and then asks them if they can run back to the museum and get some more photos for him, because he's finding out all sorts of information about why this mummy was hidden behind a wall, and where it came from, and all sorts of different things. So he gives the kids his key, because the museum is closed at night, and asks them to ride their bikes there and get more photos for him real slave driver the kids comply with this they reluctantly go back to the museum go in go to the mummy's room josh gets freaked out again and in his confusion ends up knocking out a panel of i guess the sarcophagus and makes an interesting discovery he finds both the elixir and the ring the two magical talismans that were mentioned before and he's really excited about these because he's saying that his discovery will make him famous and famous dudes get all the babes i could like go down in history Babes love fame. I could... And uh, his sister takes the magical items from him, and he's kind of pissed about this. He's like, no way, I found them. They should stay with me. They'll be safer with me. And they start fighting over the items. In the confusion, the elixir gets knocked into the sarcophagus, and a little bit of it dabs onto the the mummy. Yeah, it, it spills elixir of life onto her hand. Uh, he makes his sister pick up the bottle, and... Uh, they're both examining the mummy when they hear something behind them. They hear someone coming. And they hightail it out of the room. The camera now lingers be- on the mummy for a little while. And mm-hmm. holy shit, its arm starts to rise up. Yeah, so this this human jerky puppet starts, like, animating. I think that was the scariest part of this episode. Yeah. Uh, while we're here, I want to talk about something totally unrelated. Uh, it's a random observation of crap in the background of the week. I tried to find where this is from. In the background, on the wall of their dad's office, there's all sorts of, like, there are all sorts of artifacts throughout this office. But there's a painting on the wall. It's not really a painting. It's a framed print on the wall of a sketch of, I believe, Mary, like, the Christian mother of Jesus, Mary, done by, I'm, I'm like, 90% sure this is a blown-up recreation of a sketch done by Leonardo da Vinci. And the re- and it's just the face. And the reason that I find this to be relevant is this is the second time I've noticed it. There is an episode in, I think, the first season where... And I, again, I tried to find it. I have no idea where it is. It might be second season. It might be in the house from the Frozen Ghost. But there's, like, a haunted house-esque setting where there are creepy pictures on the wall. And one of the pictures on the wall is this exact same sketch of Mary done by Da Vinci. So whoever in the set department is having to, like find old things to hang on the wall has a really strong penchant for this picture uh, which i just thought was fun i'd noticed it before and i was like wait a second i think that's a da vinci sketch and then i saw it again here so i'm just making making that observation as a callback we'll have to see if it makes any future appearances it's if it's already made too after i saw it i was like oh shit they're doing callbacks and i started looking for the bathroom sign and what's funny is there is a no there no is, <laughs> there is a bathroom sign in this episode and uh. so i got really excited but it's not the bathroom sign it's just a bathroom sign in the museum that happens to look like the recurring one well, i'm glad we dodged that bullet anyway so the kids uh run out of the museum back to their home to tell their dad about their discovery 
and their home is trashed. Someone's ransacked it. They find a note from their dad saying, I had to go back to the museum. They're like, okay, he must be safe. He's at the museum. We cut back to the museum. Kids are yeah. looking for their dad. We get a protracted, almost Scooby-Doo type sequence where they're just like bumbling through the museum with a flashlight. They're like, what's that sound? What's that smell? There's all this suspicious activity going on and they can't figure out what it is. They discover that the mummy is missing and uh, they kind of freak out about that. And I think that's where we get a commercial break. Cookies gone into Hershey's Cookies and Cream. A mouthful of cookies in every bite. We cut back to the episode. Uh, the kids are continuing to search through the museum. There's a mummy on the loose. When is the point? I, I'm forgetting it already. At what point do they see the mummy's hand reach through the door? I think that's pretty quickly after they discover the mummy has gone missing. I believe they run up to the, the slab that the mummy was on, and there's no mummy there. There's just bandages. And what is it? Chloe says... What do you that a 10,000 year old mummy just hopped off the table and. And then they see the hand like reaching around the door. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm seeing. Another good creepy moment. Yeah, yeah. Are right, you afraid of the dark? Master of the hand reaching through a door shot. It's a lot like the Stay Out of the Basement cover from Goosebumps. Yeah. What this shot looks like. But the kids are on the run. They still don't know what's going on exactly. My favorite moment of this entire sequence where they're looking for their dad in the museum is they turn a corner and they scream and it cuts to another totally inert mummy. Yeah. Yeah. This one very fake looking. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the kids look at it and go, oh, it's just stuffy. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't tell if they said it's just stuffing or if it's just stuffed, but it sounded to me like the kids had named it Stuffy. Oh, wait, wait, it's just Stuffy. I wanted more than anything for this mummy to turn to the kids and be like, nope, just me. <laughs> Who you calling Stuffy? <laughs> and then he does a little shuffle. And for the kids to not find this at all uh, <laughs> unusual. <laughs> Oh, it's just Stuffy. Hey, Stuffy, have you seen a mummy on the loose? Nope. So they keep running around. They're in the basement now. Um, I don't know why they ended up running down to the basement. Maybe they were trying to hide down there, and then they realized they'd been found. But uh, all of the fire escapes out of the basement are locked. All of the doors that lead to exits. And they're freaking out. Uh, this is the moment where they find their dad as well. Uh, he's been yeah. knocked out, but he comes to his senses. And it's at that mo moment that the true villain appears. And, oh my god, it's Big Fat Orson Welles guy! What a yeah. twist! They're looking into the darkness, and they hear something coming towards them. And I noticed that its footsteps sounded kind of weird. It didn't sound like a mummy dragging along. And then it rounds the corner, and it's Orson Welles walking with a cane. So, it was the curator all along. The curator steps forward and explains that he's been trailing them the entire time. And that it is his intention to steal the Ring of Eternity and become immortal. Uh, he reveals to them that when they ran home to find their dad... Uh, he had already gotten to the house. Their dad had left, the curator had snuck in, and he was rifling through their stuff trying to find uh, trying to find the ring. Because he assumed that their dad had found it and kept it secret from him, since he himself could not find it. He thought, oh, their dad must have found it. I'll go to their house and steal it. He can't find it, and he hears the kids coming, so he hides. The kids burst through the door to their home and say, Dad, we found the ring of eternity. But then they stop when they realize that someone's 
been burglarizing them. So they run back to the museum, and he says, oh, the kids found it, and he's been following them the whole time, which leads us up to where we are now. Now he's cornered the kids, and he says he's doused the entire museum in kerosene. I took it to mean just the basement of the museum. No, he's going to burn this whole motherfucker down. I mean, that's his plan. Yeah, and he's he has approached them carrying a huge torch, by the way. Josh and the dad protest against this, but Chloe's like, nah, dudes, just give him that ring. And they're both sort of surprised, but they go along with it. Uh, Josh rolls the ring across the floor to Orson Welles, and uh, he says, nah, I gotta set this place on fire anyway, because I can't have you reporting to the police that I stole this ancient ring and became an immortal. He says, I can't have the police chasing after me for all eternity. I'm sure you'd go right to the authorities. I can't have them tracking me for the rest of eternity now, can I? (laughs) Which is not not a realistic way of looking at this situation. (laughs) Cut to, like... The longest YouTube loop of the Benny Hill theme. (laughs) Uh, Cleo says, wait, before you kill us, at least let us see if the ring works. Which is kind of funny because, like, if it's a ring that all it does is makes you immortal, what's going to happen when he puts it on? He should have been like, no, that's dumb. I'll put it on and I'll just keep on living. And how long am I supposed to stand here and let you watch that? But he doesn't. He falls for it, and he slides the ring onto his pinky. And immediately he undergoes a transformation. He begins to glow green and says that he feels power coursing through his veins or something. (laughs) Behold, you are now gazing at an immortal. (laughs) But his joy soon turns to dread because he starts screaming in agony and writhing around, and his entire body starts to turn into stone. In one of the worst effects that we've seen in Are You Afraid of the Dark, right? Oh, yeah. This is bad. It's fun, but it's terrible. Like, it's not at all realistic. The weird thing about this whole sequence is when it's done, when the transformation is complete, Orson Welles is not dressed the way he was before. He's wearing... It is a statue of of the Orson Welles guy wearing, like, ceremonial robes and a huge hat, like he's a monk or something. It looks like they've got a statue of the Pope with an onk around its neck. Yes, that is exactly what it looks like. Which is, I mean, like, I guess they didn't have the budget to just, like, make a statue of him, and they said, whatever, this'll, this'll do. It's magic. We, had, can do whatever we the had the statue of the Pope laying around, and we'll, <laughs> we'll work it in. Slap an onk on it. I actually really liked that they had the full-size statue of the guy. But yeah, the curator has been defeated. Everything's okay, right? Wrong. There's still a mummy on the loose. Womp womp. And it turns the corner, and it's still this old, decrepit thing. And Josh realizes what's going on, he says, The elixir brings life. The ring brings eternity. He's put the pieces together, and he goes and slips... He puts a ring on it. He slips the ring on the mummy's finger. And does she turn to stone? No, it does not. It turns into a totally bodacious Egyptian babe. Yep. It's no longer wearing its tattered mummy wrappings. It's wearing... Egyptian clothes, and it approaches them and immediately has the hots for their dad. Yeah, just starts ogling him, which I thought was sort of, like, pretty weak. I didn't like that. Hey, she hasn't been with a man in a long time. Her standards (laughs) are probably not too high. No, I'm gonna cut that. (laughs) She hasn't eaten in a long time either. Like, of all the things, she's like, "Mm, yeah, I'll take this nerdy old white dude. Uh, That kind of bothered me, but the mummy looks at their dad, or the Mina looks at their dad, and he says, Mina? And she nods, and she grins, and kind of like, I mean, she's like making eyes at him. Uh, She flirts with him a little bit, and it cuts to Josh and Cleo, and Josh says, (laughs) 
Josh says, uh, Jose Prendes' favorite line from this episode, which I did not think of, uh, as anything, but now I can't help but think of it as being kind of dirty. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Josh sees this, this bodacious Egyptian babe checking out his dad. He looks at his sister and says, I wonder if she likes to ski. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I had the exact same thought when I heard it the second time. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I didn't catch it at all. And then I looked at uh I looked at Jose's review of the episode and I was like, why is that his favorite? And I don't you know, I'm not suggesting that he thought that was pervy, but it definitely immediately struck me as pervy. Um Yeah, it's it can't be avoided. Anyway, so we, that's the end of the episode. We cut back to the Midnight Society, they wrap it up. Great story, Here's Tucker, I- blah blah blah. Uh, Tucker like runs off with the Ankh again. Gary chases after him. Rocking awesome theme song. Yeah. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say I really like that ending. Uh, Tucker as, like Tucker does something strange. As he's finishing telling his story, he gets up off the stone throne, and he continues to tell his story as he disappears into the woods, into the darkness. And so he says the end right before he disappears. And everyone goes, great story. And then Gary's like, hey, the little toad still has my Ankh. And runs off, and everyone else rolls their eyes at him. And, that's and they literally say, "Here we go again." <laughs> so even though we're growing tired of the of the Tucker hijinks, this was probably my favorite Tucker hijink. And then, like you said, rock an awesome theme song. So that's the tale of the Guardian's Curse. Yes, uh, I'm struggling to think of. An opinion for this episode. This was not a bad episode. This had a lot of fun moments in it. This is not a favorite of mine, though. I think maybe just because mummies don't really do much for me. Which is funny, because I wondered how you'd feel about this episode, because I recalled that as a child, you had one very deep fear. Oh, I was terrified of the Fiji Island uh, mermaid mummy. Yeah, which was like... A monk, a mummified monkey stitched to a fish. Oh god, it's and- awful. It's It's freaking me out just thinking about it and to me that's what this mummy looked like i will say this much for this episode this was a really big success for the prop department because you got to see the really realistic gross looking mummy which i liked you get to see the the life-size statue of big fat orson wells curator as a priest which i liked you get the weird mask at the beginning which i liked they shot it on location in a museum from the looks of it yeah, the kids ride their bike up to a museum, and then they're running through a museum. They're in the basement, which might not have been a museum, but, like, a lot of the scenes look legit, and I enjoyed that. Yeah, like, I appreciate the links that the production crew went to for this one, because it all looks like the real deal. I like the twist at the end. I like that it was not just the mummy wreaking havoc, and they sort of tried for a more... They tried to swerve us, but I don't know. It's aside from the mummy, the few shots in the mummy we get where it looks creepy and gross. There was not a lot scary about this episode. There wasn't quite enough '90s cheese. Oh, I don't know. I I thought that Danny Cooksey being in this episode was a was a great amount of '90s cheese for me. He's wearing plaid and like a metal shirt. He plays guitar and talks about babes. Yeah, you may be right. I don't know, Eli. Tell me what you thought about this one. I, I actually liked this episode. I think a lot more than you did. This is pretty high on my list of season three episodes um like i said i liked the characters i i mean i thought that uh unfortunately i thought that cleo fell a little flat compared to josh um but i thought they worked well together as two young protagonists it's nice to see a sibling 
pair of protagonists who don't have a problem with each other. Their problem is like relating to their dad and having yeah. two people who are just sort of working towards the same cause. I also realize that something I really like in Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes is when they don't rely on a really, really complicated plot. Um, the plot of this episode is just, we found a mummy, we accidentally brought the mummy to life, we are being chased by a mummy. Until the twist ending, that's it. And, like, if the curator guy had never showed up, you still would have, none of that would have changed, right? It still would have been an episode where a couple of kids accidentally animated a mummy and had to find a way to solve it. And it's just them on the run. It's fast-paced, it's a simple plot, um, it has a satisfying resolution. Like you said, this isn't one of the best episodes, um, it's nowhere near as good as some of our favorites. But if every episode of the show was this good, I would we would have a lot less to make fun of. You know, I would I would be genuinely enjoying things because it's just it's overall great acting, decent plot, well made, good effects. So yeah, I liked it. But Eli, the question is You yeah. scared of this? Uh absolutely not. As a young enough kid, if I were five or six the animating mummy would have been scary enough to like stick in my brain. And at nights when I was trying to go to sleep, I would be staring at my bedroom door or my bedroom closet door waiting to see a mummy's hand slide around the corner. Like I would have just known that was coming. Those are mm -hmm. some pretty scary images. I probably would have had dreams where I'm running through a dark, labyrinth of crates you know I, i'm fascinated by like just the endless piles of stuff i probably would have had nightmares where i'm being chased through a, a scary museum basement but it wouldn't like it would not have scared me if i'd seen this episode when i was eight or nine years old i feel the same way i was not scared by this now if i had seen it as a young child i may not have been able to watch it because the mummy would have creeped me out so much uh but watching it now no it's not scary it's fine. I, I feel like I undersold it a second ago when I was talking about it. It's a good episode, but yeah, not scary. Just a pleasant 20 minutes. What do we have to look forward to next week, Eli? Next week, we are going to be watching The Tale of the Curious Camera. Uh, the 35th episode overall. The ninth episode of Season 3 first aired March 19th, 1994, directed by Ron Oliver and written by Susan Kim, who last wrote The Tale of the Carved Stone, uh, the previous episode we reviewed, which I think we both kind of liked, so I'm excited about this. Always excited to see Mr. Ron Oliver in action, so looking forward yeah. to it. Yeah, actually, I guess The Carved Stone was also Ron Oliver and Susan Kim, so that seems to be a good pair. We'll see if, it, uh, if they can hit another one out of the park. In the meantime, we want to thank you all for listening. You can find us on Facebook.com slash YouScaredOfThis, Twitter.com slash YouScaredOfThis, SoundCloud.com slash YouScaredOfThis, where you can hear all of our episodes. And please leave a rating and or review on iTunes. It helps spread the good word of YouScaredOfThis. Again, thank you all for bearing with us during our off week last week while Ela was gone. Uh, if you haven't listened, you can go to our Facebook page and check out Having Words, an oh, old gosh. podcast that Eli and I did that I posted as something to tie yeah. everyone over. But uh, you definitely don't have to listen to that. You don't have to, but if you did listen to it, I'm actually curious to know what people thought of it, if anyone did hear it. If anyone got any enjoyment out of that, uh, Eli and I may return to that well of just talking about pop culture and saving it up during uh, off weeks. Yeah. Just an idea we're batting around. But anyway, check that out if you want. And join us next week for the tale...
What was the episode? <laughs> Join us next week for the tale. <laughs> for the Bye, tale everyone. Of the... <laughs> for the tale of the curious camera. Say cheese. And die. <laughs> nope. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs>